For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You're listening to Eagles Unfiltered. B-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! This podcast is powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. Third down and one. I didn't even touch. Hurts, heaping, first down, and a touchdown. Here are your hosts, Ed Kraz and Connor Miles. What's going on, everybody? Connor Miles from Eagles Unfiltered here. It's that time of the year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. This show is brought to you by BetOnline.com. Get your all updated odds, props, and contests, including the online's biggest half a million dollar NFL mega contest or the world's largest $200,000. NFL Survivor Contest open now on betonline.com. That's betonline.com. They power this show on Bled Podcast Network. Again, thank you for tuning in to Eagles Unfiltered and enjoy today's episode. All right, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eagles Unfiltered featured on Bled Podcast Network and powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated, si.com slash NFL slash Eagles. Co-host Connor Miles here with my co-host Ed Kras as always. We are coming to you live right now talking about the 53-man roster. That's that's all finished up. You know, the Eagles are getting preparing for week one versus Atlanta, which is the next following Sunday. Uh, I'm excited, Ed. You know, football is finally back in the air. You know, preseason was a little tease, especially for Eagles fans and anybody covering the Eagles alike because we didn't get to see much of the starters. We didn't get to see much of the, the offense that we're all anticipating. But, you know, the roster projections are done. You actually... I think tied for second for the roster, 53-man roster predictions with uh, uh, Bo. Well, I think what who Zach Berman won it? No, uh, yeah, it was all the beat writers. And I think there was like, you know, maybe 15 or 20 of us. We throw in a few bucks and we uh, give on our 53-man roster and then our practice squad guys in case tiebreakers are needed. But uh, Bo Wolf won third straight year that Bo Wolf has won. He's with The Athletic. And um, I tied for second with John McMullen. Uh, and uh, Zach Berman, and then there were nice. I had I got forty nine correct, along with you know McMullen and Berman. We each got forty nine correct, and Bo Wolf had fifty one correct. So, you know, there were some some things that hurt me there. Um, I didn't expect him to keep Stoll on the roster. Jack Stoll, the tight end. Right. Um, but you know, uh, I knew they'd keep Tyreek Jackson. I was told heading into it, that they're going to keep Tyree Jackson on the 53, and then they're just going to put him on IR. They're not going to end his season early. Um, so I had Tyree Jackson. I just didn't think they'd keep four. I thought they would try to get stole to the practice squad and then bring him up. Or mm-hmm. if he was taken, then you still have Richard Rodgers sitting there. So that was a tough one. I didn't figure that. And I also uh, didn't have them, you know, again, kind of probably bad move on my part. I didn't have him keeping Josiah Scott. Uh, I thought they would get him to the practice squad, I, but Craig James got released, which was a surprise to me. I had Craig James on the 
on the 53, but they ended up keeping Scott over James. So I think they were probably the two biggest ones that I was kind of surprised about. And then keeping seven linebackers was a, was a surprise to me as well. Um, I thought they'd only go with six there, but they went with just nine defensive linemen. And um, then they had little seven linebackers. But one of those defensive linemen was T.Y. McGill, uh, who they put on the COVID list, and he'll probably come off at some point. But they cut Hassan Ridgeway, who I had making the 53, and then he ended up on the practice squad. And now after yesterday, they added him to the 53-man roster. So he is on the 53 now, but they still have two roster spots open now after coming up with that 53 um, because they, they put acquired two. the corner. Oh, right. Now. They have one spot, one open. Yeah, they, from Indianapolis corner safety. Uh, I have to hammer down his name a little bit better before I even try to announce it on the podcast. Cause it's all Sherry. I think it is. Sherry. Okay. Kasheri, yeah, Andre Sherry. Awesome. But um, I like that move a lot, though. I mean, experience with the defensive coordinator, the first-year defensive coordinator, uh, especially for a team that always seems to have to rely on the bottom depth of their cornerback position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like having a guy that already knows the system coming in here. I like that a lot. I like that waiver claim. Yeah, I mean, he this is he, his sixth team, you know, in just three mm-hmm. years. You know, this is already his sixth team. He's bounced around from practice squad to practice squad, the Texans. Uh, signed him initially. Yeah, I'm not expecting much, but I mean, again, it's not yeah. Kayvon Seymour. It's not Michael, uh, Michael Jarrett, Majiquette. It's not mm-hmm. uh, Craig James even, I thought. You know, there were some times where he looked good, and, you know, Jim Schwartz was high on him. Uh, but again, this is a whole new staff, and we're going to get into this a little bit more because, I mean, again, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside made the team over Travis Fulgham and John Hightower. Uh, there's a lot of surprising moves, I thought, actually. But Ortega-Whiteside obviously being the most surprising of them all, but at the end of the day, Ed, you you've said it multiple times. You were actually one of the first person people beat writers I've ever even heard discuss the possibility of JJ Arthur Whiteside making it over Travis Fulgham. Uh, this coaching staff owed nothing, and we've said this multiple times in the podcast, owed nothing to the guys from their past or what they did under Doug Peterson. This is a whole new coaching staff, and they came in with all new goggles on, looking at these guys. And is it fair to say Arthur Whiteside showed enough in training camp? and the preseason to this coaching staff to think they like him better in their system than they do, or they project him better in their system right now than they do Travis Fulgham? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise to me they kept our Sega White side. I just think that, you know, they, he, they have, they're playing him a lot on special teams. Now, he's a second-round pick. You obviously want to get more out of a second-round pick than just playing special teams. Um, but really, that's kind of what they hung their hat on in keeping him both Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni both said that they liked the way he played special teams. That um, that was really kind of the leg up that he had over Travis Fulgham and what cinched it for him. I just think it was because he was a second round pick and they're just not ready to give up on him yet. Um, and it was interesting, you know, at, at practice on Thursday, uh, Travis Fulgham, you know, of course he made it to the practice squad. Nobody claimed him. Uh, he was getting reps ahead of, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and just the individual stuff. You know, he was running as the fourth receiver and Ortega-Whiteside was getting reps behind that. So, But everybody's getting the same number of reps. I, I don't know how big a deal that is. Um, but, you know, the order they went in was Greg Ward, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins, and then uh, Travis Fulgham and then J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Um, 
but they all got the same number of reps. I, we weren't there for the team portion of practice. We're not allowed to be there anymore for, for that. We're only allowed the first 15 to 20 minutes of practice. So I don't know if you can read any, anything into that. Um, but yeah, I don't think Fulgham's days are over here in Philadelphia unless another team comes along and plucks them off their practice squad and adds them to their 53 man roster. But uh, I think, like I said, they still have that one roster spot open. Uh, you know, I don't know. It could be for Fulgham. Maybe they add him heading to Atlanta, or maybe they bring in Richard Rogers. But I think they like Jack Stoll, and I like their two tight ends. So um, maybe they sign Jordan Howard uh, right. next week too. So I mean, a lot of different ways you can go with that opening. Maybe they bring in another waiver claim. Uh, but I don't think Fulgham's days are completely over here in Philadelphia. If I'm J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, I'm not feeling comfortable in the slightest. I mean, you better, you know, not vanish like you have the last two years after good camps. You need to come out, and if they're putting you in there, whether it's special teams or on the offense, you, you better flash. You better show something, or you know, uh, you know, his shelf life on the roster could could be you know could be a short leash for him, maybe a month, six weeks to kind of show what he can do. But, you know, Fogum's still here. Fogum's still breathing down his neck. But right now, J.J.'s on the 53 and Fogum's on the practice squad. Three running backs was the biggest surprise for me. Yes. Uh, when reading this 53-man roster projection, because even with uh, – we've been hammering it. I've I, I been harping on it the most, I feel like, too, is that with the addition of Nick Sirianni, comes a balanced offense. And and yet, you know, really, this this backfield, the way it's constructed right now, leans heavily on Miles Sanders carrying the ball. Um, I know Kenny Gamewell is going to be a great addition as well, but really more on the receiving side rather than the carry side. And again, Boston Scott's a very underrated runner as well. I think that he's very good in his role. Uh, I would expect, like you're saying, it's got to be Jordan Howard, you, you would think. But I mean, again, we can't even predict what's going on with the running back situation right now as is. Right. I, I wouldn't be, uh, I mean, you say Miles Sanders is going to get the carries, but look, Kenny Gamewell got a lot of carries in the preseason. True. You know, he, true. he showed he could run the ball. So I wouldn't say they're just going to put him in to throw it to him. If they bring him in, they're going to hand the ball to him, too. And Boston Scott got some carries. This coaching staff really likes Boston Scott. So I don't think it's as predictable as saying, OK, Sanders is going to get all the runs and, you know, we're going to throw to Scott and, and Gainwell. I think those two are going to have some carries as well uh, to take the load off. So maybe they feel like that's enough um, that, that, you know, that's enough running backs. Um, you know, you can. It's hard to get four into a game. Um, you know, Howard's on the practice squad now, as is Jason Huntley. Um, you know, they could be there just kind of for injury protection because I think four is a lot. Um, whereas I think six receivers, if one of them's playing special teams, and you could have that on a game day roster. So you could add Fulgham. But I, I don't think it'll be Jordan Howard next week. But like you said, there's no predicting uh, exactly what they're going to do. I mean, I, I know he's the short yardage guy and, you know, he can take a pounding and uh, pick up well and pass protection, all good traits for him. But I don't know. I, I just don't know if uh, that's going to be the guy they decide to, to pull up next week and add to the roster. Seven linebackers also did surprise me initially, but after, you know, digesting it a little bit more and, you know, really realizing what this Sam linebacker role type is going to be in Jonathan Gannon's system, it kind of makes sense of why they went a little light on the defensive end position, a little bit more heavier on linebackers, given the Sam, uh, what the Sam role is going to be with this team. But again, I mean, we're they're relying on Patrick Johnson, they're relying on Gerard Avery, who's been banged up, uh, Ryan Kerrigan as well, who also has been banged up during this camp. 
maybe that's the position to keep their eye on during this waiver claim too as well. Cause I don't know if they're set again. I like the progression that Jernard Avery has shown. And I think that uh, it may be enough for them to be confident in trying to see how he, you know, transitions from defensive end to the Sam linebacker role, but uh, I'm not as set in stone confident in that position as maybe the, the, the team is, uh, but that's the only reason why I look at seven linebackers. And I think that is more justified now and understandable when you look at what they did with the edge group. Yeah, you know, it's so unpredictable to keep seven. I mean, this is the group that everybody kind of vilifies Howie Roseman for not investing resources in. And, you know, here they have seven that they like, which is a a pretty high number, uh, obviously, to keep for a position that they, a lot of fans don't seem to think they value. Although they do value it, they just don't invest draft resources in it like maybe they should. I mean, you know, they sign guys like Nigel Bradham and you know, I mean, if you took the bill. current salary of this linebacker group, though, and combined it all together, it's pretty low. Yeah. And and it's a concern because you look at what and I know it's preseason, but, you know, they gave up over 100 yards rushing on the on the ground in the three preseason games by a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you're counting on, you know, obviously the defensive lineman takes some of that responsibility, but the linebackers take a lot of it. And I didn't see enough playmaking from guys like Sean Bradley on a consistent basis and, you know, they cut Rashad Smith, but I, I didn't see a lot from guys that weren't named Alex Singleton or Eric Wilson and TJ Edwards. I mean, they're, the, they're, they're your three top guys, but um, we, we didn't see a whole lot of, you know, Davian Taylor who is hurt. Now he seemed to be doing some stretching on Thursday. So, you know, maybe he's close to returning. Um, um Patrick Johnson is a linebacker they they decided to keep. They cut Jacoby Stevens, their only draft pick they had. They ended up releasing. Now they brought him back to the practice squad. But, you know, they kept eight of, nine, eight of their nine rookies. And, uh, you know, two of them were on the defensive line, or three of them actually, with Marlon Tuatuapolu and uh, Marlon uh, – I'm sorry um, – Milton Williams is one, and then Teron Jackson. I mean, they kept three defensive linemen who were rookies, uh, and then you have a rookie linebacker in in Patrick Johnson. But, you know, they like this linebacker group. I I don't know if all of them will be active on on game day. We'll have to wait and see if, you know, they're not inactive uh, on the inactive list. But they like them enough to keep seven of them. Uh, Davion Taylor, I was a little surprised, didn't go on IR because he's really struggled with this calf injury since very early in camp. Um, but again, he did some stretching. Maybe he's going to come back, but uh, he could be one of those guys that's inactive on game day as he continues to rehab. But uh, yeah, I didn't see seven linebackers coming. Not at all, for sure. I thought they'd, I thought they'd try to get Sean Bradley to the practice squad. I thought he had a pretty inconsistent uh, preseason Bradley. Um, but, you know, maybe they thought someone would grab him. I don't know. I liked him as a rookie. I did. I do agree with you about the preseason, though. The preseason was very inconsistent, but I did like him as a rookie. But this run defense does, is a worry of mine. Yeah, uh, actually, that is actually a concern going into the season. How how this run defense is going to fare, especially in this division. I mean, you got Barkley, Antonio Gibson, Zeke Elliott, all three yeah. premier running backs. Yeah, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's a the run defense is something the Eagles have hung their hat on for years. They've been very good at stopping the run. Uh, you know, when Chip uh, Jim Schwartz was here, but now you you know you wonder. I mean, they're they're they were really gashed. Uh, regularly in the preseason. So you hope that it was, hey, just the preseason. They weren't really, you know, mixing a lot of personnel in there. They weren't really making calls to, you know, blitz to stop the run. You hope that those two things will help them play better against it once the season starts. 
I'll tell you right now, Ed, I can take them being worse against the run if it means they're better against the pass. Because year in and year out, they're they're I don't even want to. They're good against the run. Some years are decent because under Jim Schwartz, they were they were good, but they were also decent at times, especially this past year when the linebacker position was just deteriorated. They were pretty gashed. But I'll take being bad against the run if it means being good against the pass. And I think that's really what Jonathan Gann's system emphasis is on is stopping the pass. Um, I do think this is going to be the Achilles heel of this defense this year is against the run. And I know a lot of people are thinking, you know, you guys are overreacting. It's the preseason. Uh, it's too soon to say this yet, but it is a legit concern of mine. It is. I was, I, you know, when you when you focus on one area, uh, another area is going to weaken. And I think that's what's going to happen with this this defense and the system is that the more focused it is on stopping the pass, the less there is going to be on stopping the run. And especially with the linebacker, the, the linebackers in in this system have to stop the run more than more so than they did in Jim Schwartz's defense. Whereas stopping the run stopped at the line of scrimmage. I don't think that's going to be the same here at all. So. Uh, that's something to keep your eye on for sure. I mean, that's, a, that's obviously our analysts on that. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. Maybe they are going to end up being great against the run, but I, I, I think it's going to be their Achilles heel. The defense this year is against the run, but I think they will be such a, a much improved pass defense that uh, you can way outweigh that. Yeah, well, you hope you stop the run often enough where you're not sitting in third and three, you know, right. 80% uh, of the game, then you can absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, the inability to stop the run really led to a lot of third down conversions uh, for other teams during the preseason because they were a lot of times they were in third and short, but then they managed to pick up the third and longs too. But most of them were third and short. And that's another concern is stopping the opponent on third down. You can't let them have third and short, you know, 50, 60% of the game, man. You got to put them, you got to stop that run. You got to throw a guy for a loss on first down, two yard loss or whatever, or, hold them to a yard, put them in second and third and longs to get off the field. And that's where it's important to stop the run. I mean, they need to stop the run early, you know, in a series. And, you know, again, I think they'll be okay. They didn't play their defensive line. They're like the top five guys in the last two games. So, um, and then when the Steelers had 152 yards against them in the opener, they only had like 50 in the first half when that starting D line was in there. And then they kind of, you know, ran rough shot over the backups, but, um, I think they'll be okay with Fletcher and Hargrave and, uh, you know, with the, with the, with the end sweat Barnett and, and, uh, Brandon Graham. I think, I think they will be fine against the run. It's just, you hope they can figure out a rotation where they're not just playing their straight backups when the, when the starters need a blow, I think you need to kind of mix guys in. So you keep some of your veteran starters on the field. And I think Gannon's kind of trying to figure that out, uh, as the season goes along. We'll be excited to see it, but Ed, you know, Gardner Minshew met with the media this week. Uh, I thought it was interesting. The, my one, my main takeaway from that is that you know, he he said Jalen Hurts is one of the first teammates to reach out to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jalen Hurts is a guy. I mean, again, this is this dates back from Alabama because again, he's always had guys in his rear rear window that have talent uh, from two up to Mac Jones to at Oklahoma with uh, Spencer Rattler to. Now being here in Philadelphia, he had Carson Wentz in front of him, uh, Nate Sudfeld, and now it's Gardner Minshew and Joe Flacco. And yet, you know, he's used to this. This is something that he used to be in an environment where there's talented quarterbacks around him, is what I'm saying. And he reaches out to, you know, Gardner Minshew and he welcomes him to the team. No problem. No problem at all. I think that's the main difference to take away from 
his leadership and Carson Wentz's leadership is that nothing threatens him. You know, there's no, nothing the Eagles can possibly do. These Deshaun Watson rumors, anything that the, this Carson Wentz talk, even when he came into the team, nothing threatens this guy. You know, he's going to come out and do his job. He's going to come out and play football. He's going to come out and be the, the player that he wants to be. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I, that's my main takeaway from Jalen Hurts. I don't know if I felt the same way about Carson Wentz now, especially with every hands given that's happened. I mean, back at North Dakota State, the guy behind him was Easton Stick. You know, nobody thought anything about Easton Stick. Again, Easton Stick had a great career at North Dakota State University. He was, uh, I don't think he ever lost, rarely lost. Mm-hmm. But Carson wasn't threatened by him because he knew what the he knew what he was. And the NFL showed you what he was, an undrafted free agent is trying to catch on with the team. So Carson never had the position to be threatened. Uh, even when in, in Philadelphia, I mean, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, held the trophy, and the next the, the, the next few words out of the Eagles' mouth were how committed they were to Carson Wentz. You know, there was nothing to make him feel threatened. And the first time he feels threatened is when they bring in Jalen Hurts, and this is this is what happens. Mm-hmm. Everything that's transpired. And you can you can disagree with me all you want. Think it was the media's fault, think it was Howie's fault, whatever. That's that's your debate. But if Jalen Hurts is not brought into this team, Carson Wentz doesn't go about acting the way he does. Close case. Yeah. So my thing is, I wonder how the Eagles feel now, especially with all this vaccine stuff too, because you have to throw that in there. I don't care what your, your views are on the vaccine. I don't care about it at all. The, the point is having the vaccine as an NFL player gives you a better chance of being available for the season than it does being unvaccinated. And that's just the truth. Disagree with it all you want, but it's the facts. Carson Wentz is unvaccinated. He's made it pretty known. Jalen Hurts right out of the gate says he's vaccinated. You have to think the Eagles feel way more comfortable about the leader that they have right now and his availability than they ever have before with Carson Wentz, especially during this era of football with the coronavirus pandemic uh, being on the heels of getting of another football season. So even if this thing doesn't work out with Jalen Hurts and they have to go a different direction at quarterback, Ed, even after the colossal mistake of, the, of that contract that they gave Carson Wentz, I have to think that Jeffrey Leary and Harry Roseman are breathing a sigh of relief at the end of the day that they don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. They don't have to deal with the Carson Wentz injuries. They don't have to deal with the awkward leader. They don't have to deal with uh, not getting the vaccine. Uh, as as the, the quarterback of the team, it's hard for the quarterback of the team, the guy who's supposed to be the leader, the, to not be vaccinated. I'm sorry. In this era of football, it is. Right. Well, you can't be around your teammates like you're supposed to be. You know, you can't have lunch or, you know, you can't have a meal with them. Right. You can't go out with them. You know, I can't imagine how Indianapolis feels right now. Yeah. Carson Wentz has missed vital time with his new team due to injury. And that just happens. That's just part of his career. And again, that, that goes on top of the vaccine stuff as well. I, I'm not just, you know, I'm not just looking at the vaccine and, 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 and focusing on that because the injuries are a huge part of his career way before this all started. He's always been, his availability has always been in question without this coronavirus pandemic to be thrown in there because of his injuries. It's been dating back to North Dakota State. But, so he's already missed valuable time, but now he's he he's risking even missing more time. He missed five days because he was in close contact. He didn't get the virus. It's not his problem. It's not his fault, but he was in close contact. That is easily going to happen, especially traveling. When they're going away to these away games, that's going to happen throughout the whole entire 17 weeks of the regular season, Ed. So yeah. now you're putting yourself in risk of missing five days of again after you already missed five days before an extended period of time of injury with your new team. Whereas the Eagles are in a whole new transition period of a new head coach, new offense, new era of football where they would have needed Carson Wentz right now. 
and they wouldn't have had him. They would have lost him to a foot injury. They would have lost him to not being vaccinated and not being able to be close to your teammates. So my thinking is, I went because I think it's a fun debate. I just think it's a fun debate. I wonder if the Eagles and Hallie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie feel much better about the, the the future of the quarterback now than they do if they would have stuck with Carson Wentz long term because his availability is always in question. And I'm sorry to quite frank, and I know some people are going to disagree with it, but as a leader of your football team to come out and you know talk the way you do about the virus, talk the way you do about the vaccine, it, it looks awful because kids look up to you. People look up to you. This team is looking up to you. And you're denouncing something that, you know, can help you win a Super Bowl. That's the truth. It is the truth. Unvaccinated players are at risk of losing their job in the NFL. It's just been proven right now during these preseason cuts. And they're at risk of not playing throughout the season. So I would think if I'm the Eagles, even if it doesn't work out with Jalen Hurts and you have to go a different direction at quarterback, at least you're not stuck with this problem anymore. That's off your plates. And maybe the Eagles felt that way because, again, there is so much stuff that happened behind the scenes of the Carson Wentz situation of leaving Philadelphia that reporters don't even know, None of that we don't even know, that none of us know. And, but there was something there that made the Eagles feel comfortable enough to think, you know, we have all this contract control of Carson Wentz. We could do what the, the Texans are doing with Deshaun Watson, not even have to worry about the legal issues and keep him on the roster and just shove him off to the side because he's under contract. But instead they held the door open and they took the best offer they can get as soon as they got it. I, I think they were kind of, they had their backs against the wall on that though. I think they would have liked to have had Carson back to be honest. I, I really do. I think they, if they could have made him feel more comfortable in returning, but you know, Carson didn't want to be here anymore. Right. Uh, and they got good value for him. I mean, the best value they could get, it's different in a way with Zach Ertz. You know, they, they wanted good value for Ertz, and and nobody wanted to pay that. Um, whereas the Colts ponied up, you know, a third round pick and a potential first round pick next year. So Howie's like, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it. That's good value, you know. It, so I think they would have had him back. But are they happy they moved on from him at this point after seeing what's transpired since they moved on from him in March? These last whatever uh, five months or, or so, probably. I mean. There was drama, obviously, with Wentz in Indianapolis. There really hasn't been that drama with Jalen Hurts. He he's the same guy every single day, day in and day out. You know, he'll he'll answer questions as honestly as he can. Uh, he says a lot of the same things sometimes, but you know, he's the same guy. You know, and and he's really grown on me as far as his leadership goes. Like it's such an intangible thing to 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 measure and to to weigh. Um, but I can see it and I can hear it. And talking to other players, I mean, they love how he's the same guy and how he works so hard. Zach Ertz talked about it earlier in the week, how, you know, he loves to keep working after practice. You know, Ertz is out, Hertz is out there throwing passes to receivers, to Ertz. I mean, he'll, he'll put in as much time as anybody wants to put in. He won't walk off the field and, uh, you know, go take a shower and head home or whatever. He He's fully invested. And I think when you get back to Gardner Minshew, and, you know, Jalen Hurts being the first one to welcome him, I, I think that speaks volumes for Jalen Hurts' uh, mantra that it's, it really truly is all about the team. Like, you'll ask him a question about Miles Sanders, and he doesn't really answer about Miles. He goes, well, we have a lot of guys that have a great opportunity to do some great things, and, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what Miles does with that. You know, he doesn't really praise any specific player um he'd rather keep it all about the team or about the position group and he he just wants to win and 
you know, I think by welcoming Gardner Minshew and taking away any potential distraction or, you know, making uh, in an awkward situation, he's like, look, man, let's just get on the same page and let's do our job and let's go to work. You know, he's not concerned about, you know, uh, the, the ego part of this thing. I mean, I think like you mentioned earlier, he, you know, he knows what it's like to have something and then that's something taken away from him back when he was at college, when Tua took over for him at halftime of the championship game, whatever it was. Um, you know, he knows what it's like and he knows what it's like to be in different environments in college and to have new teammates coming in year after year, new recruits and welcoming, welcoming them in. Um, and he's just taking those lessons and is applying it right now with the Eagles. And, you know, I, I to me, I think it's really fun to watch, watch him grow, watch him lead. Um it's a shame we didn't get to see more of him in the preseason, but we saw him in those four games last year. People forget we did see him in those four games. And, you know, he threw nine touchdowns. He ran for close to a thousand yards. Um, you know, that's something to build on. And even, uh, gosh, somebody said that he noticed he was a different player. Oh, I think it was Zach Ertz said he, he just had thrown some passes with him this summer. And he said, you could see the difference in him knowing that he's the guy now and he's the one in charge. So, uh, I think that just reflects it when you go back to Gardner Minshew. That yeah, let's go, man. Let's just win games. You come in if they want. If you want to compete for my job, fine. I'm up for the challenge. I'm not threatened by it like somebody like Carson would be, who was put on the pedestal in North Dakota, could do no wrong. You know, loved in that state, never really faced any adversity. Hurts has faced adversity throughout his entire uh, college career, so he's used to it and he knows how to handle it and to deal with it and. Kudos to him for welcoming Minshew and just taking that awkward situation away because people thought that Minshew was going to come in and somehow be the starter. You know, he's not even the number two right now. He's got to come in and he's got to learn this offense. Uh, and, and then maybe next year he'll compete with Hertz for the starting job. You know, maybe by midseason he'll compete with Hertz for the starting job if Hertz isn't playing well. But right now, you know, I really like the way Hertz has shown his leadership ability something that maybe you didn't always see from Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, this, like you mentioned with the vaccine thing and, but listen, Carson had a lot of supporters in that locker room in Philadelphia too. A lot of the veteran players respected him uh, and, and thought highly of his leadership ability. So, you know, I, I think the Eagles might be happy that he, they don't have to deal with this drama. That that's probably it. It's just the drama that comes sometimes with him with the injury and now the vaccine and they're they're probably happy not to have to deal with that right now. Well, that and I mean, the first sign of how he handled adversity would make anyone feel off putting. I would think yeah. it would make it made me feel that way. Uh, going into this, of course, I was a Carson Wentz supporter, as I, as every other Eagle fan or anybody that covers the team does. You know, of course, we all supported and thought highly of Carson Wentz. But I mean, ever since the drafting of Jalen Hurts. The, the way that it went about on his side, the Eagles side and everything has left a sour taste in our mouth. And I think it's fair. And I think it, I, I that's why I think the Eagles had a, some sort of buyer remorse because in a league where, I mean, I know that they've had Nick Foles behind him and it didn't phase him, but again, they, they made it known so much as much as they could that this, this is Carson Wentz's team, even when Nick Foles had success. Mm-hmm. Like there was, there was no time to focus on the success Nick Foles was having. It was all about this is Carson's team. So there was never there was never a doubt in his mind. There was never had to be a doubt in his mind. The first doubt in his mind happens when they take the second round pick and they invested in Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. So 
I would think in the in in this league in this in this football industry in this business, how you handle adversity says so much about your character and what the player you can be. And the way that he handled it, I would I, I think it's fair to think the Eagles had buyer remorse. But I agree, I do agree with you. You know, the value was met for Carson Wentz by the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, so there was no reason not to take that deal. And again, like like you alluded to, he didn't want to come back to the Eagles at all, anyways. Right. But the value was met, so that it didn't stop them at all. But I would think, after seeing how he handled that adversity, you would think I, I don't need a guy like that on my team because nobody's job should be secured. And if you once you start playing bad, it definitely shouldn't be secured. And that's that was the case last year. He he did play pretty bad. I know, given all the context and everything else around him, but he still played pretty bad, even in clean pocket. So I don't know. We'll see. But talking about another player that they has coming up in trade rumors recently is uh, Dallas Goddard. Our, our good old friend Matt Lombardo back from the old Eagles beat covers the Giants now as national football insider for fansided.com. Uh, he reported on his podcast that the Vikings made a call to the Philadelphia Eagles for inquired about Dallas Goddard and the Eagles listened. Um, I think you and I both did some background research into that and wanted to discuss it a little bit more and figure out what was, you know, the the background story to that. And I think there, there's some more context that need to be added. And uh, from everything I figured out or was told, yes, the Minnesota did call and inquire about the availability of Dallas Goddard, but that, that Howie Rosen put a price tag on him that he knew wasn't going to be met. Um, and this is nothing new of the Philadelphia Eagles organization, how they operate as well as every other organization in the NFL. May I add uh, how he will listen to any call on any player, I believe. I believe he would even do it for Fletcher Cox and Jason Kelsey. He would listen. I'm sure he already um, has. I'm sure he already I'm has. Sure, I'm, sure, yeah, I'm sure he has too. But if the value is not met, and again, he'll put a crazy price tag on him, and that's fine. Because you have to also realize, you not only does the value have to be met, but it has to outweigh what the player can bring to the team, not only this year, but in years to come. And the way the Eagles view Dallas Goddard is a first-round pick. And the Minnesota wasn't obviously going to give up a first round pick. And how he do that? And if they were, then hell yeah, he's going to make that trade. And he yeah. would be a damn fool not to. Right. Yeah. I don't care how you feel about Dallas Goddard. I, I love him. I think he's going to be a great tight end this year. I, a huge breakout season on, on, on Verge. But I would definitely take a first round pick over a tight end, especially when you still have Zach Ertz, who I think has better football ahead of him. You have Tyree Jackson, who showed some promise. Again, nothing, nothing set in stone with him, though. Promise is one thing in the preseason. I think a lot of people hang their hats on it, but rarely does it translate. But again, this coaching staff that they assembled gives me some confidence in the development of Tyree Jackson after seeing what they were able to accomplish with a guy like Mo Ali Cox in Indianapolis. I think they could do the same with Tyree Jackson. Again, Mo Ali Cox is still not a finished product, but he did show signs of being a great tight end in this league. Uh, where, the, the, where the league is going with tight ends, it's going to the Travis Kelsey, George Kittle type of you know being a receiver being a, a mismatch receiver for your size. And Tyree Jackson fits to that mold. And I think the Eagles can develop him into being some sort of that guy. But again, that's such a huge if. It's still, you still got to get there. He's already banged up. So when, I, when I'm weighing out, the, when I'm out weighing those risk rewards, I'm thinking Dallas Goddard, you have to get a first round pick for it. And Minnesota was not looking to give up a first round pick. Irv Smith is their tight end in the future. They just need a rental because this is a, a team that has, you know, think of them what you will, but this team that is still a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. So they will make they will make that rental type move like they did for Chris Herndon and getting him from the Jets and only getting up a fourth round pick. But 
And no, in no way, shape, or form were the Eagles even close to trading Dallas Goddard to Minnesota. The call happened. How he gave a price tag, Spielman was not even going to meet it even close. So that's what that's what I've been told, and I, I think you can confirm the same as well. But uh, unless there was a first round pick off for Dallas Goddard, the Eagles aren't trading him or even consider trading him. Right. You know, if Howie said I want a one, and it's my understanding that's what he asked for was a number one. Maybe there was something even more, but kind of like that Sam Bradford deal. You know, they the Vikings traded Eagles a one and a four for Sam Bradford, um, which was crazy then, still crazy now. Uh, and I think it would have been crazy for them to give up a first round pick when you have someone like Irv Smith uh, waiting in the wings. And listen, Dallas Goddard needs a new contract after this season. So there's that to take into consideration. So, yeah, you want to give me a one and you can have Goddard and you can have the contract that you're going to have to give him, which is going to be pretty substantial. Um, so, yeah, the Vikings weren't going to do that. Um, so they settled for giving up a fourth rounder and getting Herndon from the Jets and a sixth rounder back. So the Eagles are still invested in Dallas Goddard. I'm sure they're going to probably extend his contract at some point, uh, maybe during the season, um, to not allow him to leave. But listen, Zach Ertz kind of throws a a little bit of a monkey wrench in here now too, is, you know, we talked to him earlier in the week and, you know, he, he's fully invested, you know, he said, apologies have been made. Fences have been mended. Uh, and the Eagles seem committed to him. So I know this is the last year of yeah. his deal. Uh, he'll probably walk. But listen, if the Zach Ertz comes out and has a, you know, 65 catch season, you know, with eight touchdowns, it's going to be hard to let him go. But he's going to command a big number on the market. And that's what he's playing for, Zach Ertz, is his contract. And that's the same with Dallas Goddard. And usually that's a good situation if you're the team that was watching two guys try to fight for a contract. And we see it on defense with Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett, both of those guys, you know, that tends to motivate players to have great seasons. So as far as those four guys, that's a good situation for the Eagles, especially at the tight end. You know, Zach Ertz, you'd love to see him retire here. He wants to retire here. Uh, But who knows? I mean, you know, it's going to be real interesting to see how it all plays out. But listen, Goddard's five years younger. He's probably a better two-way player with his blocking uh, but Zach Ertz is a true pro and you hate to see him leave, but, uh, I think they'll probably end up sticking with Goddard and probably get a contract done at some point during the season. And that would spell the end probably for Zach Ertz. The way that the fences were mended was saying we were wrong and you were right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, Zach Ertz had such an impressive camp to the point where they sat him down and say, we're going to make you part of the offense this year rather than regulating you to third down and just being Goddard's backup. That's how the fences were mended. Yeah. Um, you know, the reason why also Ertz wanted out wasn't just because the contract was because he knew it was time for, to be in Goddard's shadow and he didn't want to be. Um, and nor does he deserve to be at all, especially at the point where he's at his career, he can still contribute at a high level. And he, he proved that to them, this camp enough for them to sit down and say, you're going to be a huge part of the offense this year. And I do know, I know that for a fact that that happened. Uh, they they sat him down and they they yep. changed course at the beginning of the season. Excuse me, at the beginning of back in OTAs, the 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 conversation was you are going to be guards backup and we'll get you in on third down situations if we're not able to trade you. Now it's you're going to be a part of this offense this year and you're going to have a role. So that's mm-hmm. how the fences were mended. Once you tell a player we envision a role for you, you're going to play a part of this offense and be a big part of this offense. 
of course the fences are mended, and of course because no trade was happening, nobody was meeting the value. Like you said earlier in the show, nobody was meeting the value that Harry Roseman is putting on Zach Ertz. There is nothing that a fifth round pick next year. I'm sorry that you maybe some are going to disagree about it. That does not match the value what Zach Ertz can give you in 2021. It doesn't, and how he knows that, mm-hmm. especially with a young quarterback trying to f- figure out his way in the NFL who needs a security blanket. The fifth yeah. round pick in 2022 does not get it done. And that was the best offer they got this offseason was the fifth-round pick from the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. This just wasn't going to get it done. So unless, uh, again, the Eagles are in a great situation, not even just, just because of that. If they fall flat in their face a couple weeks into the season, you can trade Zach Ertz, though. Sure. Okay, this press conference, I, I think, you know, captivated a lot of fans and a lot of hope for Zach Ertz's future with his team. But to me, it was just mending fences and, and saying, you know what, you're going to have a role with this team. You're going to play with us this year. You're not going to be on the sidelines as much as you originally thought. Let's get this done. And whatever transpires until then, let's let it happen. And fine, let's let it rock. That's how Zach is finally. You know, the season's coming. The trade's not happening. I got to play football. I got to make my destination next year, like you're saying, uh, presentable and get my, get my deal on the open market. Because like you said, the, the Eagles still have huge plans for Dallas Goddard. But Zach Ertz is going to be a staple of this offense this year. Yep. And I think them being more confident of letting go of the Travis Fulgums of the world and having your three, your four, really, your four main receivers being, uh, I think, I think what? Rager's six foot, Watkins is six one, maybe. I mean, you got you don't have the the, the tallest, uh, lankiest guys as receivers. It just makes you think that that shows you that they're, that's how much they're going to lean on the tight ends is to be the big guys this year as the receivers. Um, 12 personnel is not going anywhere, folks. It won't be a staple of the offense like it was under Peterson, but it's not going anywhere right now. Zachary's going to have a role with the team uh, for the first six weeks of the season guaranteed. Yeah, and and they're going to evaluate week to week how much 12 they play versus 11, depending on the on the opponent. You know, Shane Steichen pretty much told us that earlier in the week. But um, here, here's what I like about that Ertz story is, yeah, he was told, okay, you're going to be the third down guy. You're not going to play as many snaps as you're accustomed uh, and he wasn't happy, but yet he went home. He didn't come to OTAs, but he still watched the practice tape. Jason Michael, the tight end coach, kept in touch with Zach Ertz. He told us that. Um, he, Zach Ertz continued to watch practices of the OTAs while he was stayed away. Um, so, yeah, he knew he kind of had one foot out the door and he wasn't real happy. But, you know, he he still didn't just turn his back completely and not – have anything to do with the Eagles. He watched the the practice tape. Uh, he wanted to see how Jason Michael was coaching the tight ends. He talked about seeing Tyree Jackson kind of really stand out to him, but it's going to take him a while to be a tight end. And then he talked about when he saw him in the summer, how he was even different from during the OTAs, Tyree Jackson I'm talking about. Um, so he did that. He came in during the summer and he had a catch with you know him and Z- uh, Jalen Hurts uh, threw the ball around together during the summer. So he he was still, you know, somewhat invested, even though he wasn't happy and that he wasn't certain of what the future held, if they were going to try to still trade him, if there was an injury that cropped up uh, during the training camp portion of the offseason, would the Eagles try to trade him? He, he didn't know any of that. He was so but yet he, he didn't just turn his back and just take a bad attitude kept to himself, didn't want to have any leaks, didn't want his agent putting anything out there, but he stayed invested. Uh that was pretty clear. And then he started, he talked about what he learned from Nick Sirianni as a receiving coach. Uh, he, he said, you know, he's Sirianni has taught him so much about 
how to be a receiver, stuff that was counterintuitive that to what he was doing that already gave him a lot of success. So, you know, there are a lot of factors now why Zach Ertz admitted that this is probably the most fun he's ever had in any camp during his first eight years in the NFL. I think he's enjoying his role, uh, mentoring the younger guys, the leader in the room, people that, you know, a guy other teammates look up to. Uh, He likes what he sees from Jalen Hurts. He believes that Hurts can be a good quarterback and lead this team to wins. Uh, You know, and that's just, if you didn't already have a high opinion of Zach Ertz, that this just raises it to another level because of his ability to just kind of stay invested and not just pout and, you know, demand a trade, want to get out of town. You know, he just, he kept one eye on what things were, what was happening in camp. And, you know, I give him so much credit for that. And you just wish, okay, I know they're invested in Dallas Goddard. You just wish, and maybe this is the fan in me speaking, and I'm a big fan of Zach Ertz. You just wish they could find a way to keep him around and keep him in town and let him retire here. But it just doesn't seem like that's going to be possible. Still a true professional and a class act through and through his whole entire Eagles career from day one. Uh, No surprise he handled it this way at all. No surprise at all. Uh, Again, he's one Dallas Goddard. Yeah, it really shows what kind of person he is. I mean, just not even on the field, just kind of the type of person he is off the field. I mean, you know, he, he's a class act, like you said, through and through. He's a, he is one Dallas Goddard injury away from making the organization change their mind like they already have on him. <laughs> right. That's true. It, it's the truth, though. It is the yeah. truth. I mean, you know, Goddard hasn't been the pillar of health. He, right. He's already – he this one training camp, Ed, this one way that he's approached his training camp has already changed their mind to flip on a dime and say, instead of featuring Dallas, now you have a role. Mm-hmm. He's one Dallas Goddard injury away from, you know, changing their minds. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So, yeah, this is a story that doesn't have an ending yet. It's still kind of to be determined. But um, like I said, it's going to be a really crazy cool. ride. It's been, though, what a yeah. crazy up and down ride. It's been with Zach Ertz and his Philadelphia Eagles future with his team. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, that picture at the end of the season where they're all Carson, Jason Kelsey and, and him are sitting on, on the sidelines and just being on the field for an hour after the game was over and, and it all looked like the end for all of them, but it was only the end for one. And that's insane. Yeah. And, and you know, listen, you know, we all assume, okay, in six weeks, if the Eagles fall on their faces, it's going to be Zach Ertz that gets traded. What, what if it is Dallas Goddard? What if they say, you know, we, we love Jack Stoll the way, you know, he gives us stuff in the blocking uh, game and he's developing as a pass catcher and we love Tyree Jackson. You know, why don't they, what if they say, let's trade Goddard, get probably a higher pick in exchange or whatever they're going to get. And and then let's sign and see if Zach will take a three-year, you know, $14 million deal, something like that, and and, and then go from there. Um, because we still have cheap tight ends in Jack Stoll and Tyree Jackson. Um, so, I mean, is that going to happen? I don't know, but it's a long I don't shot. think so because of how high they are on him. I mean, you put a first price tag on him. You I, I love the guy. I get it. But listen, like you it's said. Not, it's not impossible, though. It is yeah. not impossible. Yeah. It's it's fine. Zach Ertz has made them change their mind already once this offseason. It might happen again. Yeah. But all right, guys, that's going to do it for us because this is 45 minutes into it. We will be back with another episode of the Eagles Unfiltered to preview week one versus the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the first of Nick Sirianni's era. We're excited to talk about it and get into you after discussing the practice that Ed has seen up close and personal this, this week. Ed. Again, thank you for giving us your time and providing all the information that you do on a week-in and week-out basis for Eagles Unfiltered. We don't thank you enough, and we greatly appreciate it, my friend.
yeah hey thanks to everybody for listening really appreciate that si.com slash nfl slash eagles for your all up-to-date news on the philadelphia eagles from ed crash john mcmullen and myself thank you all for tuning in we'll see you soon What's going on, everybody? It's Connor Miles from Eagles Unfiltered here, and we're excited to announce our new sponsor with PlayActionPools.com. This season, we'll be bringing you every interactive fun from the sport we love the most. You'll be able to get in the action with our PlayActionPools.com football pick'em challenge each week, open to everyone. That's everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for the contest, Blev Football Pick'em at PlayActionPools.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select 10 of the highest profile games of each week between the NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electronic sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com, sign up for the contest, Blev, that's Blev, B-L-E-A-V, football pick them. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They got Survivor, pick them, as well as sports book style concept play called Build Your Own Bankroll. PlayActionPools.com, your new home for your office sports pools. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.